1: Welcome to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit tobinbrothers.com.au. Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the show. Made possible by our friends at Tobin Brothers Funeral celebrating lives. It's Julian De sitting in for Sam Edmund. Our Best Off Summer Series continues as we look back on some of our favourite and most memorable interviews of 2022. Today, it's one of Australia's greatest ever golfers, a pioneer for the women's game worldwide, three-time major winner, Jan Stevenson.
0: There's been triumph, tragedy and ultimately a tremendous legacy that lives on to this day. Jan, hello. Thanks so very much for joining us. Oh,
2: thank you, Sam. Nice to be here.
0: I'm not sure, to be honest, how we're going to fit all this in. I mean, what a life you've <laughs> led and you are living. Where, where do we find you today?
2: Well, I'm in the Tampa Bay area now. I, um, my foundation owns a golf course, so I run that. Uh, I do a clinic for veterans once a month. And, uh, and I also own a liquor distributorship. So um, I have two jobs there. <laughs> uh, that keeps me pretty busy.
0: So the Tampa Bay area is a long way from Shelley Beach. I think it was back in your day that it was at the Tuggera Lakes Golf Club where you'd spend, what, well, just about probably every weekend as a girl playing the game that would shape your life.
2: Yeah, that's right. I mean, uh, we would go, we had a weekend up there and it was it was so fun to go up there. I mean, I was really torn between golf and surfing, but uh, golf won out.
0: Okay. So how and when did you first start playing golf? When did your relationship with the game actually start and how did it start, Jan?
2: Well, when I was nine years old, my father, when I mean, my father was, was a big cricketer and a very good sportsman, he played he played, obviously, he played um, cricket in the summer, and then he played rugby in the winter. Very good athlete. My mom was a really good tennis player and a dance dancer, so we had a lot of athletic in the family, and so he wanted me to be a professional athlete of some kind, so he wanted me to be a tennis player, because back then, tennis was really popular. You know, you had John Newcomb and Rod Laver and, and Margaret Court were coming up were there, and so he's like, no, tennis is the way you should be. So he would take me to the tennis court, and then he'd go off and play this new sport called golf. <laughs> and I was so horrified that I couldn't play golf. And so one day somebody said to his, to my father, Jan's got a really good golf swing. Why, why is she not playing more golf? And he said, no, you don't. You mean tennis swing? And they went, no, no, she sells golf balls. And, and uh, she's up here all the time when you don't know it. And so he came to me and said, are you really playing golf? And I said, well, I'd like to. I don't have any golf clubs. And he said, I'll let you change sports one more time. And one time and that's it. So I, I chose golf because I could be with him a lot and the family. So my younger brother's he he's two years younger. So we all start at the same time. So I started when I was nine.
0: So you started when you were nine. So you started early, and you started winning early too. Now six, have I got this right, six consecutive state schoolgirl championships, and at fifteen. <laughs> you- you're selected to represent New South Wales and the National Women's Championships as well. So tell me, Jen, you, what was your level of ambition? I mean, did you play golf because you had a burning desire to make it, so to speak, or was it more just a natural evolution born of a natural ability and, and just a sport that you enjoyed to play?
2: Well, I loved I, I loved competing. I loved when I used to love getting those trophies from the from the latest golf union back then. <laughs> it was such a big deal to get these beautiful trophies. And the only thing I can remember is when I was... 13 years old, they said, we've got a junior clinic we're gonna do, and then we're gonna take the top two and and send them on a plane to represent the state to South Australia. So I worked so hard to be on that team. I was way too young to go, but I and I won, and so I got to go. And and it was something, it's like having goals was so important to me. So it was like, okay, I wanna go to South Australia all on my own when I'm 13 years old and with the people. And then when I got to play all the other junior events, everybody was probably 18, 19 or 20 years old, when it was twenty-one and under, and I was 14, 15. So I really never fitted in because I was still having to have take all my homework with me, and and uh, so they they really would put me in a room all on my own because I I couldn't enjoy you know kind of life and have and have a glass of wine. But I, I always wanted to play and compete. I loved the competition. So, but it was I really did want to make it. Um, come over here and make it
0: yeah so that was representing your state that's fine but when it came to representing your country at around that time there were a few hurdles weren't there now the australian ladies golf union well they just said Jen just flat out you're just too young
2: well they said i was too young and i was too controversial because i like they never conformed well of course I, I didn't fit in age-wise but you know i always like i said we talked about what i would wear and and um and they didn't like my attitude they said i was too confident that i was too cocky i, I needed to be you know more humble and I was like well how can I be humble if I'm going to be the best in the world <laughs> and it was like and they were horrified and so every time they, they actually did a series and they said what we're going to do is we're going to have a series of trials so the winner of the state uh the New South Wales match play and the winner of the New South Wales stroke play and the same in Victoria the Victorian stroke play and the Victorian match play And we're going to have a series all the season um and, and whoever wins the series are going to be the players we represent well I won every single event and they so when they went we went to royal sydney to announce the australian team i wasn't on the team and then they said oh a non playing non travelling reserve is jan stevenson i was horrified i remember crying all the way from royal sydney back to balmain and i i didn't know, my father couldn't stop me crying my mother couldn't i was just I for the I was just so mad. But it actually probably was good in the end because it made me turn pro.
0: When you say you didn't conform at this age, how did that actually manifest itself? Are we talking, you know, upsetting them over the the establishment over things like the dress code and such?
2: Definitely. Because you know, in those days you'd have to your outfit could never be whether you your skirt could never be more than four inches from the ground when you were kneeling. So it had to be just above the knee, it couldn't be any higher. Right. And you know, I was just going by whatever the fashion was and I just loved it. You know, I was so I was so fascinated with and then, you know, once I went to June Daly Watkins when I was 18, when I was going to night school for college, she actually gave me a, um, a scholarship to go to June Daly Watkins modeling school. So after that, I was really fast, you know, so fascinated with sports and with fashion and it, they didn't like it at all because I never wore what you're supposed to wear. And, and um, you know, and I'd paint my golf bag and, and all psychedelic colors back then and painted my car. And so they just, I never fit in and I was like off the wall for them. And, you know, it was a very, very gentlemanly ladylike sport. And they thought I was not very good for the sport. Yeah. And the problem was the media got on my side. That was the part, the worst part of it was I had, um, you probably, well, you wouldn't know them now, but the Terry Smithson and, and um, all those people back then, They the, all of the papers were pictures of me. I um, mean, you know, I'd, I'd be on the second page of the mirror, you know, in, in a bikini swimming at Bondi beach and they'd so they'd have that. And so the establishment hated any of that
0: stuff. <laughs> I can imagine. You mentioned turning pro. You did that, the Australian LPGA in 73. And then the following year, the US LPGA, Rookie of the Year Honours. Geez, you hit the ground running. A title at the inaugural Moroccan Open. Uh, and at this stage, your golf career, if we'll get to the other stuff in a moment, was, was flying along really promisingly.
2: It was. It was really, it was pretty exciting because, you know, you're living your dream. And when it was a little hard at first, I hated America when I first came over because you had to change different grass every stage and the players here I was going again nobody really knew me and I didn't fit in because back then we didn't have the international players we do now you know we only had uh Saladil from South Africa and then Chaka Hoguchi from Japan we were the only three international players and so we were like ostracized and so I was here I go again you know I'm getting to the American tour and nobody wants to be anything to do with me so I got really fortunate though because the, the tour was kind of struggling and um and you know I mean I remember when I won the Moroccan Open it was so different because it was the first time they'd ever had the women at, at they had a, the men's and the women's event was the same time which Vic Open has done Australia's done it better than anybody and I just am so I'm, I'm so proud of them I just wish they'd do more of that they keep saying over here they're going to mm. and they tried it in Sweden Annika tried it with her event with Henrik Stenson but it was I remember in Morocco it was Billy Casper won the men's and I won the women's and we had to walk on this red carpet all like for 100 yards with everybody in with their guns because there'd been a, a threat on on king hussein's life and i'm like and and billy casper goes you go first i'm like no 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 <laughs> <laughs> the man should get the trophy first he's like no you should go first and it was like walking 100 yards with all of these these beautiful uniformed army people with their guns out it was like it's pretty scary
0: so your life's changing really quickly but it's about to go to another level again in 75 the then lpga commissioner Ray. Ray Volpe had decided, and he was ahead of his times by well the sound of it, Ray, that he was going to make you the face of the tour, you know, declaring that you had the sex appeal and the talent. What more could we ask for? He said. Did you embrace it straight away, Janet? And and golf, as we said, was was very much still a stuffy, conservative environment at this stage. Did any of that have you second guessing, or you're straight in the deep end?
2: Well, no, I really didn't understand. It was just that when Ray Volpe moved the tour, because he came, he was the commissioner of the NHL, the hockey league, so he knew what he was doing. And the tour used to be in 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 Atlanta, Georgia, with. In a lawyer's office. And he said, no, 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 we're going to make this big time. So he moved the offices to New York City, hired a big marketing firm called People and Properties and said, let's put this on the map because they are talented. And if we're going to make it, we're going to make it. And then he didn't want, he always said, I want to have someone that can win to be the, the new image. And at the time, Billie Jean King had just come out. So they were like, well, we don't want to promote that. So here's this woman from Australia. Nobody knows who she is, but she can win. And so he had me fly to New York and said, look the the tour is is doing okay but it's it's struggling We it, to get it to a level where you're going to make a lot of money and all the other players are, we need you to do some things. And it's like, well, what things? And I'm like, well, is it going to hurt my game? As it turned out, it did hurt my game, but um, he's like, it's really important to do this for the tour. So the players will, you know, I said, I really want to make it as a golfer. He says, well, you will, you've already, you know, you're already winning and you're, you know, you're rookie of the year, but I, I just think we could do some really exciting things with you. And I was like, okay. So I kind of reluctantly agreed. Because I really still was, you know, I'm so ambitious. I still wanted to make it on tour, and that was really my main goal. But so I, I would have, he said, I'm going to send you tickets to fly to meet potential sponsors, and and so we'll do as much as we can in New York. So as soon as I finished a tournament in those days, I'd have a there'd be a message on my locker that there's a ticket waiting at the airport for you, and I would fly to New York, and we would play golf, and then be out for one or two nights but you know, wining and dining potential sponsors. We signed probably 10 contracts for 15 year contracts with, with sponsors that year. And then, then the next year he said, okay, this is what I want you to do. Now we've decided the PR firm has decided that we should have um, kind of a magazine to teach the player to teach the people about all the players. And it'll be put into each of the programs of these new tournaments. And so it's like, okay. And so we want you to do a photograph, a photo session, you know, and and we're going to put that in each year. So I, I did what they said you know they had the outfits and they're like okay lay on the bed now take your bra off it's we can see the lines of the bra and I'm like oh okay so I take the bra off and then they went okay just hike it up a little bit more you know and next thing the picture comes out and it's huge controversy and of course all the players are mad and and uh but it it, we did great I mean all everybody wanted the program every and then every time they couldn't wait for each year or each tournament to have a new program with these pictures in there and so it got to be a big deal
0: it certainly did so we're going to talk about that in a moment because risque photo shoots we'll delve into a little little bit more a gentleman by the name of donald trump we're going to talk about also the next chapter of jan stevenson's amazing journey is after this you're listening to this is your journey it's thanks to tobin brothers funerals a family-owned business since 1934
1: Hello, it's great to have your company on This
0: Is Your Journey, made possible by Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives, and we're chatting to Australian golfing great Jan Stevenson. So, Jan, we'll circle back to the golf and your achievements that, that live on absolutely in the respective halls of fame, as we mentioned, and you did have immediate success, you know, continued in the LPGA as well with the Sarah Coventry Naples Classic in 76. But as we just touched on before the break, you're the first in the women's game to feature on the cover of magazines worldwide, often depicted in images that were considered racy at the time. Now, that the shot that you just talked, about with um with the white dress I think and on the bed you wouldn't even look twice at it in 2022 but at the time it really stirred up the hornet's nest didn't it
2: it did and you know a lot of this comes from you know Australia with our our newspapers they're almost more like the papers you know it's it's the more the tabloid stuff and but our newspapers were always that way and you think of the pictures you know every other week I'd be you know, on the Sun or the Mirror or the Herald. You know, the Herald in the afternoon paper, with, and it asked me to do a picture, a, sh- a photo shoot. And I never, never really thought it was that big a deal. So when they said, you know, get on the bed with evening dress, I was like, oh, okay, this is just a nice shot. It's no big deal. But they all got carried away with it. Um, so it is pretty funny how, ad- you look back now, and those things wouldn't even, like you said, they wouldn't even blink an eye.
0: So that was Fairway Magazine in the white dress. How did the other players react? The
2: players really were very upset. We used to, ha- we have a player meeting about every six weeks for the to say hey we've got some new tournaments coming on or you know talk about all these issues and they would all get up and say you know Jan's ruining you know women and women in sports and women in business by doing this and he's like do you have any idea how much money she's just made you we've signed 10 and 15 year contracts huge corporations she's taking her time and not spending we're not paying her any money to do this and you know and and it's uh, she's doing all of the press conference for these new events and you should be on bended knees for and bowing to her for all that she's done because it's he you said you've got to think about and he was trying to explain to them he said when jan shows up at a tournament yes they're going to talk about it because number one she did the pre-press conference and number two there's nothing to talk about until the tournament starts and so with jan there's always something and the players used to call me the melrose place of the tour and you wouldn't even know what that is because you're too young but no you i know do
0: sadly i do know exactly what that is
2: but they used to laugh because players i know beth jan used to say i hate taking a week off because who knows what's going to happen when I, i'm i going to miss all the controversy mm. when.'" when I leave.
0: So they'd say nothing yet though, because the most iconic photo was of course the bathtub full of the golf balls. How, how do you reflect on that? Uh, the most iconic photo I would have thought where you sitting in the, in the golf tub with seemingly nothing but, but golf balls covering it.
2: Well, you know, I think the first one was the poster shot. That's the one that kind of got it all started. And, and, and I had, there was a photographer who was a really good photographer. Um, his name was Dick Zimmerman and he did all of Michael Jackson's one and all the covers of all the albums and everything. So he was very famous in, in, I mean, a really big superstar is photography in California. And actually, that I was the first person to play Metal Woods. And that's it's too long a story to go over. But what happened was the man that started that, his name was Gary Adams, mm. he started TaylorMade. Well, then I went on a tear and I won 81 the majors, 82 the majors, 83 a major, And plus was winning all these tournaments. So they said, hey, we want to do a poster with you with one of our, the metal woods. And we're like, oh, okay, that's fine. So they flew me out to LA to do this poster. Dick Zimmerman, knowing Dick, he's like, well, this is not glamorous enough. And he was again, hey, take your bra off. And then it was like, let's hike up that golf dress. Because I started in actual golf clothes. Mm. And then by the end, it was hike that up. And they're like, let's show some underwear. And then he went, okay, let's get the fan. And then he went, okay, let's get the spray bottle. And then, so now I'm wet down with no bra on in a white shirt. And 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 that was the one that was the second biggest poster to Farrah Fawcett's. That one just took off like crazy. Wow. And they got some of their money back.
0: Did they? What? <laughs> well, I, I just coming back to the bathtub for a moment, I think you said you had to, how long did you have to sit in there for? Because you famously said when you got out, you could read Maxi Fly on my butt.
2: That's true. <laughs> it took over two hours to do that shot because it was a full calendar. But what happened was, was, um because every time i'd take a, a breath the balls would fall off my breasts and so i was like and, and it was we had to we had to get it just right so you couldn't see anything and so and then i and then i complained i said i don't want to say that i'm naked so then the photographer's wife made little post pasties for my nipples and i had like a, a little g-string on they said that way you can't say you're naked i went okay okay but it, it was pretty i kept it for a long time because people kept saying And my secretary kept saying, why are we keeping these little tiny round things with sticky tape all over them? And I was like, it's a long story. (laughs) I didn't really want to tell her the deal. But every time I'd take a breath or they'd want a different pose, because, you know, you do all kinds of different looks Mm, and poses. mm. They would, all the balls would fall off. And I was like, uh, we'd have to have to place them all back on again.
0: Amazing. One of your biggest supporters was Donald Trump. Now, how did you first meet Donald Trump?
2: Well, He sent me a letter back early on when I was, I think, late in 74, um, because I'd you know, I was already doing pretty well, and and um, I got I received the letter and it said um, I represent. I think it was even the a, a Saudi company um, that's and I I'm, I'd like you to represent their casino over here. I'm I'm gonna I've got some funding from them, and we'd like you to represent. Would like you to fly to New York to meet. So I well, oh, I don't know if I want to do this. But I called Ray Volpe and he goes, Are you kidding? He's Mr. New York. You better get on an airplane. I went okay. So I flew to New York to meet him, and um and he he was. Unbelievable. I mean, he's very romantic. I mean, we went to Regines, we went to 21. He we did the whole, you know, him being he was a huge celebrity in New York. And and um and I would go there after I do my my stuff, because luckily I'd be there almost every Monday with potential sponsors. So we would go to dinner and play golf at Wingfoot. And um, we, had, we had a good time. He was actually, well, I don't know to say gentleman, but it certainly, he would have so many women hitting on him everywhere we'd go and he really handled it well.
0: What was the most romantic thing he did? I was reading something around a surprise flight to, to Paris that uh, has lived on in time. Yeah, in- well,
2: what happened was I was playing in Atlanta and uh and you know he i I, he called me in in my room because i used to send where i'm going to stay and and the play and the the lpj was new where i was staying anyway and he said hey you would like to go to dinner and and i said well tomorrow anytime this week i said no i'm in atlanta i'm playing a golf tournament and he goes well i would like to take you to dinner and i went well i'm not flying to new york now because i'm in atlanta and i've got an early tea time in the pro-am Tomorrow on Wednesday so he said okay well I'll fly to you and we'll go out for dinner there and I went okay that's fair so he said meet me at Peachtree DeKalb and you know in those days you could drive right up to the plane so I Drove up to the plane and uh, and he said, what do you feel like? And I said, oh, I don't care. He said, would you like, do you like French? I said, yeah, French would be great. I said, I don't know what the French is going to be like in Atlanta, but we'll find, you know, that's fine. So when we flew, I flew, I drove up to the plane and you know how they opened the door and they put the little red carpet out for the plane and he didn't come out. And I'm like, what is he doing? So I came out, I came up and the captain came out and he said, I think you should come inside. I said, what does he want me to come inside for? And I went into the plane and it was full of red roses. And then there was one seat that was open with one rose and a little envelope. And it said, we have reservations. And it was at some French restaurant. I'm like, well, is this in Atlanta? And they went, no, this is not in Atlanta. And we're ready to take you to this French restaurant. And I, and I, I took that one rose and I put thank you, but no thank you. And I put the note back on the seat and and left. And that was pretty much when I, I talked to him that night. And he said, I guess you're going to choose golf over me and I said
0: because that was it wasn't it I mean uh, I mean at the time the only problem was with you and he was that he was seeing Ivana at the same time and I think it did it not come down to the fact that you didn't want to give up your golf career like he perhaps wanted you to do to be with him
2: yeah we talked about it a little bit because he's then he started seeing Ivana when he was while he was still seeing seeing me and he goes you know I've I've met a woman that reminds me so much of you she's very you know she's smart and she's Uh, athlete. I don't want just someone that, you know, that anyone from New York, I want them to be able to be able to be part of my business. And I said, well, I really can't do that. And I mean, we, and we actually talked about it because he did say, I mean, he would call me every now and then even while he was still seeing Ivana and say, you know, you guys are so similar. Are you sure? Because you know, so you can always play golf at Wingfoot, and um, I said, no, that's not the same thing. I, it's not like winning a U.S. Open. And we've talked about it after that. Yeah. We, we, I played with him about two uh, thousand and seven, and he goes, you know, you could have been, and, and and I was we were playing with. Um, the chairman of Deutsche Bank and um, who he borrowed a lot of money from. (laughs) And and he said, you know, then the the president said, so I heard you could have been Mrs. Ivana and Mrs. Trump. And I said, well, I don't know if it would have gotten to that. But in and 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 he said and he and then Donald arrived in the helicopter at that time too to play with us. And and he said, and she could have been the club champion at, at Wingfoot and had all this money. And I said, yes, but I wouldn't have won a US Open. And he went, oh, that's true.
0: No regrets, surely. Well,
2: you know, no, not at all. Of course not. I mean, that was my dream, but I wish he'd have been a little more patient oh. <laughs> and just said, you know, give it, give me, let me have a shot, because Absol- this was so new to me.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. You, with this is your journey. It's brought to you by Tobin Brothers Funerals, celebrating lives. You can visit them online at
1: tobinbrothers.com.au. Jan
0: Stevenson's best golfing moments were still to come, though. So that's up next.
1: Hello, we hope you're enjoying this week's edition
0: of This Is Your Journey. We're with women's golf trailblazer Jan Stevenson. So, Jan, as you just touched on before the break, in the early 80s, let's be honest, you were absolutely on fire. You won the World Ladies Championship in Japan, the first Aussie to win a golf tournament there, and then you went on to win three LPGA majors the Canadian Open, the LPGA Championship, and the US Women's Open. Three massive wins in three years. As far as your golf goes, was this just as good as it got?
2: Yeah, you know, I actually got better in 87, but <laughs> right. this was definitely right, right riding a high. This was definitely a high. Sure. I mean, the things that, you know, to be in the middle of everything going on, um, Ray was, you know, the tour was bigger and better than it would ever been. We had enormous galleries and, and I was I was a fan favorite, which was really fun. And, you know, I'd be seen, Ray always wanted to have me seen every time we did at an event. Like when I, if we played Cincinnati, I'd be seen at batting practice and then at dinner with, you know with the catcher who one of the single cute guys or when we played New York I'd be seen with Ed Marinaro from you know the Jets and so it looked like I was leading this amazingly glamorous exciting life when really I was just practicing all the time and I don't
0: believe that
2: (laughs) but it was it was pretty amazing and uh, I I did have it was everything you could imagine you know I mean you're the superstar everywhere you go you I actually finished up eating having room service all the time because you couldn't even go out to eat because the galleries would be so big they'd see you at a restaurant and and so it it was they keep people keep saying that was nowadays you know with Twitter and with with social media you would have been like this enormous star and I said well wait a minute I was an enormous star but they like it would have even been more crazy
0: and for women's golf at that time it was a new level of celebrity wasn't it It was something the sport had never experienced before
2: yeah and especially you're right I mean Ray was really quite brilliant and it worked out perfect because I was playing well so they couldn't say he just picked somebody yeah. you know i mean it was and and i actually kind of fed off of being a celebrity and having everybody want you to do well especially coming from australia where they didn't like it so it was it was really fun and and um and and i enjoyed it there's no question it was it was good i mean you i was on all the talk shows every day i'd be on a morning talk show and then at night i'd be on the night shows and you know with johnny carson or kenny rogers it was just there was there was so much celebrity you know hanging out with them everybody thought wow what a great life
0: how good and in how do you- five, you won the French Open too and then you mentioned 87 when you might have been playing your best golf and you did describe it later as your best year. You with a leading money winner as well. Can you take us to the St. Petersburg Classic? Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I think you're up by five shots, one round to play. So you're going to win that one, aren't you? Barring an yeah. absolute disaster. And then disaster does strike though and it strikes you away from the course. You're involved in a, in a serious car accident. What what happened?
2: Yeah, well and, and the thing is that one of the 87, I think I was probably the fittest. I mean, I was probably one of the first players to work out as much. I mean, number. Number one because my father was a professional athlete but number two was because I, I had to because I had half my clothes off all the time I had to be in really good shape <laughs> so I spent you know all so much time at the gym before even people would even think about working out nowadays it's part of part of life um you know to still work out to work out but uh so I was in really good shape and I'd kind of in 86 and, and 85 once Ray Volpe left I kind of missed having him you know direct where to do and where to go and what to do and and have me is out there in front. And so I, I kind of was lost, you know, I, I I I got married. So now I couldn't be seen with everybody. And uh, and and I thought, well, I'd, I'd had my goal to win the US Open since I was 13. And so once that was gone, I kind of had got into a, like a lull. I mean, I was always in the top 10 money list for the world, but I just didn't really have any goals. So I went, okay, I'm going to reset my goals to be number one in the world. So in 86, I worked really hard on my game in the, in the off season. And then I got off to a great start. Um, um, I had a third and then I finished, I won in, in um, Santa Barbara. So now I'm, I'm going to, I'm on the money, I'm number one on the money list. And then we had a, we, I was, we played in St. Pete. So I was driving and I was on, I was just on fire. So I had a five shot lead with one round to go. Had did the press conference, putted for a little while and stopped and got some, some takeaway chicken and was driving home. And, um and, and then a, a girl that was on drugs, she just ran a red light and nailed my, I had a nice brand new courtesy car, nailed my left side and in those days all I can say is if it wasn't for Australia because we've always had to have our seatbelts on so it was just an automatic thing for me to have my seatbelt on whereas in America nobody else did it they yeah. thought I was crazy yeah. and then so she nailed me from the left side and then, uh, then as I started spinning then a car on my right because we were still still green light then he hit me on the right side so uh, my car was totaled and they had to cut me out of the car and uh, and I had head injuries and broke all my, le- my Ribs on my left side, and so, and I had a broken bone in my back, so it was a pretty bad, pretty bad wreck.
0: So, you were good at a lot of things, Jan. You were, but turns out being patient with injury wasn't one of them, which, of course, we, we can understand <laughs> given the urgency you would have felt to get back given you're in career best form. Now, you played an exhibition with Jack Nicholas with your ribs still broken. Now, was the Golden Bear shocked to learn this because he gave you a bit of a talking to, didn't he? Yeah,
2: he did. I gosh, you really did your homework. Um, yeah, well, I, I tried to play too early obviously not, and so I would we, at the tournament we'd have to, they taped me up and it was so painful it was right at impact i'd kind of come out of the shot and uh, but i wanted to get back so badly and i didn't i wasn't playing well and so i was doing an exhibition with jack in in Carolinas and we had to be taped up so when they lifted my shirt to you know to have the wire go down jack's like what is all that tape and i said oh my ribs are cr- still cracked they won't heal because every time i make him go to impact they, they they open up again and he goes what are you what are you doing you're trying to play golf with broken ribs? I'm like, yeah, yeah, it's it, it's very painful, but I, I want to get back out there. And he, and he sat me down and he said, have you played well since? And I said, well, no, of course not. And he goes, well, I'm telling you right now, you're not going to play well until you let it heal. So he said, I want you to play today, obviously, because it's my van and I want you to, <laughs> to have an exhibition with me. But he said, what well, I want you to just promise me that you won't come back until the ribs have healed. And I went, yeah, but that's going to be, they said two months. And he goes, well, you're wasting your time out here now. And he said, if you promise me Promise me that. And he said, tell you what, I'll give you one piece of advice. Take the weakest part of your game and work on that in as much as you can for two months until the heal. And I guarantee it'll be worth it. And so I took two months off. I took my caddy. We went to Arizona and the weakest part of my game was was long putting. Um, I was never, you know, my putting was always very streaky. I was really good from tee to green. I was very steady. That's why I did well in majors. I, I could always hit lots of fairways and greens. And I felt like there was some areas of my short game, which I could do because I had broken ribs. It was easier to putt and to hit little chip shots. So I worked on that. And I think that if if I'd have been a, that good a putter my, the rest of the career, I would have done even better. So then when I went out, I had three tournaments left and I finished second. Um, I missed a short putt on 16 and Lopez made a long putt and I lost to J- Lopez on at Portland and then I won the next two events. So I finished off second, first, first and finished still finished fourth in the money list after all of that.
0: We're well, speaking to the amazing Jan Stevenson on This Is Your Journey. It's thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals celebrating live. Stay with us because we'll be right back with Jan. After.
1: You're listening to This Is Your Journey with Sam Edmund. For Tobin Brothers Funerals, visit Tobin Hello, it's
0: been great to have your company here on This Is Your Journey. Thanks to Tobin Brothers Funerals, a family-owned business since 1934, and former pro golfer Jan Stevenson has been our guest today. So, Jan... You got over the car crash injuries, and and you're ready also, which we didn't mention to re, to return after the tragic loss of your father to full time golf. Your father lost his um his battle with cancer, so you've had to deal with a lot of personal tragedy in your life. It's 1990. You've had a couple of top ten finishes when you and your husband are invited as guests of the Miami Heat in the NBA now. You're parking your car before the game when you're attacked. Now, I can't imagine how traumatic this must have been. But if you don't mind me asking, what are your memories of something that, you know, I'm sure was very, very difficult for you to process?
2: The hardest part was... Uh, that it had, you know, it just destroyed my career. I mean, and, and my marriage, <laughs> but, um, you know, I, I went through, I've, like you said, when my, after my father died in December of 88, uh, that was cause he was a big part of my career. Mm-hmm. And then in 89, my caddy died, my longtime caddy, he died in 89. And, and then in, in 1990, my brother-in-law got killed and it was like, I don't know how much more I can take. So I went, you know, I'm just going to work on my game and go back to focusing on golf. because that's just always been there for me and I love it. And I love competing. So I worked really hard. And so the first time I was in Jamaica, I finished top 10. I was really excited about my game. We had a week off and I was really close friends with the owner of the Phoenix Suns. I had floor seats and, you know, I loved sports. And so he have he said, Hey, I'm going to be traveling to Florida where you are. And I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to build a new, new, um, a new arena. And I want to check out all the new floors. So I Met him in Orlando to watch the Magic. And then I was meeting him at the Heat the next night uh, to see their their stadium. So he left us, you know, obviously, left us the, the tickets. And so um, we parked in an area that was considered, you know, one of the main parking areas. And uh, I jumped out of the car because in those days, I had one of the first mobile phones. Then it was a Motorola and it was huge and really heavy. Like <laughs> it was big, right? It, it was it was like really. We I don't know if you've ever seen them, but they're with really the big, big aerial too. With the aerial and everything, yeah. and I'm like, you know, I don't want to be dr- walking with you know one of these brand new phones because you know Miami's not known to be a very safe place, and it didn't look like a nice neighborhood. So I pumped the trunk, and I was going to put it in in the in the boot, and. And as I did that, this black man pulled pulled my 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 um my purse and I let him I turned around and saw how big it was, I let him have it. And then um and I threw the phone, I'm like you can have the phone, and it didn't, and then he tried to get my wedding ring, and then he couldn't get it off because it was pretty tight and and my rings. And he was trying and trying and and I was starting to pull and then he snapped my finger to get the ring off and he broke all the bones in the finger just to get the ring. And then I started to yell for help and and then he picked me up he was so big and he threw me at the people coming to help me and I dislocated my shoulder and then he ran away but they did catch him but that that was so devastating because I mean to this day you know I have so many pins and screws in my hand that and in a golf holding on with the last two fingers is pretty important of your left hand and I have no strength and they won't even close so that part of it was something you know I kept thinking I could get back and come back from this but that's something I really couldn't come back
0: we'll get back to that in a moment you said just off the top here that it, the attack ruined your marriage as well how did that come to be
2: well when i was laying on the ground and people were coming to help me i looked i looked in the i looked in the up up to see where he was where why he hadn't come to help and he was sitting in the car looking and i could see him looking out of the side view mirror so when he then he jumped out of the car and said what happened i'm like well, you saw the whole thing and he goes well i couldn't help he was too big so obviously i filed for a divorce wow and then he sued me for loss of income because he was making so much money as my manager. Wow. A pretty bad story, yeah.
0: Oh goodness. And then you know, so your left hand it didn't, and it you know it never really recovered, which is heartbreaking for your golf. And I know you were researching for a long time about how to play. You know, without a left hand grip, can you educate? The, I guess the non golf listeners around this and the challenge. Yeah, well,
2: in in golf, you know, you really have to if you're right handed. The last three fingers of your left hand, you've got to really hold on with those to keep the blade square and to get some power. And so I I started going to every coach in in the country trying to figure out how. I was going to play and they went, well, you can't play without a strong left side. And, and then um, I, I I was, I came back to play after I was mugged. I came back to play the Australian open and the Australian ladies masters in Queensland and was sitting with Gary Edwin, who I'd known since I was 16 and he's a pretty famous golfer. And he had taught and he said, well, you know, you could try the right side of swing. I teach how you right side can power through. And I went, What? And so I actually played pretty well at that masters even. And he watched me the whole time and I was hitting these horrible big hooks because I couldn't hold under the club. And he said, I think I can I can help you. And so I stayed and didn't go back to the States and worked with him for like three months and and had to build, really build my golf. It took me a long time. It probably took me 10 years to really get it, but I actually had to start all over.
0: So he helped you return to the LPGA tour, and I think there were two second place finishes upon your return as well. But you always felt, I imagine, that you can never quite recapture it.
2: No, you know, golf has become so powerful anyway, and in, and in those and it was just getting to that power stage. And you know, I've I've lost thirty yards. I mean, people keep saying to me to to this day when I play that if I had if I had thirty to forty yards or. You know, thirty meters at least on the tour, I could still play because my short game is so good.
0: Gee, that's a sad way to bow out of it all, isn't it? So, life after yeah. the career—I mean, you—you you, you turned to golf course design. You've had a lot of success in in this area. Um, that's something that you're passionate about, obviously, or have been, historically.
2: Yeah, I know. I love golf course design. I first started in—in. In, uh, I did my own golf course, called it Walkabout. I did a whole yeah. Australian theme with—with. <laughs> with, um, we had all these. Uh, I tried to do one one street called Kangaroo Court, but they didn't get it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I, I, but anyway, I had koala. I thought. But I had all these Aussie names, and I had to change a lot of the Aborigine names because the. They said nine one one. they wouldn't be able to pronounce it or spell it. They couldn't put didgeridoo in because they wouldn't know how to, t- they wouldn't know help. what that was if there was an emergency. <laughs> yeah, right. So they, I had to come back to pretty corny words from Australia, but it was fun um, doing that. And then I worked with Pete Dye, so I interned with him. In fact, now I'm back. His niece, Cynthia Dye, because Pete has died. Pete and Alice both have passed away, and now their son just passed away. And so... Alice, the the cousin of them, um, we worked together on a couple of projects. Her and I are now doing a lot of renovation work because... Um, so that's been really fun uh, because I love renovating and love redesign because it's, you know, Pete, I think Pete was one of the greatest and and, and that part of it, I, I love being outside on and, you know, getting to create something other than just my golf school.
0: Your legacy is so vast. I mean, I, we're never, we're never going to be able to do it justice here, but you, you were instrumental in establishing the Women's Senior Golf Tour. I think you won uh, four times on the same tour for good measure as well. We've got the Jan Stevenson Trophy that now goes to the winner of the Women's New South Wales Open Championship. That was announced, I think, earlier this year year so that's special and you've been a tireless worker for charity down the years I mean Jan Stevenson's Crossroads Foundation you've been an ambassador for blind and disabled golf wounded veterans initiative the national uh, multiple sclerosis society in the states as well and it probably goes on and on so well done j- I just feel like say, I don't have a question it's just <laughs> an, an amazing legacy to have
2: well I am and you know what it does make you feel better you know I, like as you said I mean it was pretty devastating to have my career stop the way it did or it didn't stop but it, it just it certainly you it, it impaired it. So I couldn't play my best or couldn't compete. So I, have really enjoyed that. You know, I, I had a junior program, but which is great because Kari's taken it over and she can really put some, you know, put a lot of effort into it. But as I was l- teaching the blind and disabled, I mean, I got taught on how to do that. I mean, how to play golf blind. I'm fine at hitting the ball, but I can't even walk. I trip all the time with, uh, with my eyes closed, but I wanted to learn that. So I actually developed a program to help them. And so we have two programs at the golf course that I own. And, um, and one of them, once, they're both once a month and we have all these blind kids come out and they absolutely love to play golf and so I've taken a lot of Gary Edwin stuff that he taught me because um you can, you, because you have your left side is pretty stationary and your right side moves around it which is great for blind because you can't have them moving off the ball because then they can't come right back to it so I've I've really developed a pretty good program and it, it is so rewarding to see them have such a good time out there.
0: Now can I fact check something with you that even non-golfers will find staggering 15 holes in one in your lifetime in fact nine on in lpga competition is that right
2: yeah in fact in 1982 i had three in one year i won three cars and then um i traded i had i won three mazda so i traded them in on a porsche (laughs) <laughs> and it was like it was. I um, and it was. I I, I was a really good iron player. I mean, I guess I still am a good, really good iron
0: player. Unbelievable. Um, and it'd be remiss of us in a, in a massive week for Aussie golf. Uh, the events at the 150th Open Championship with Cam Smith doing what he did, just a relentless display of clutch putting, one of the greatest final round performances in the history of golf. Were you just glued to the box? Uh, the events uh, of St. the Andes? whole
2: time. I mean, it was early in the morning here, so I I went to the gym and watched the first hour on the treadmill, and then I came back and I. I wasn't leaving I was so I, I really didn't think he would win because he kind of blew it on Saturday and he didn't put one well on Saturday and I, and I had taken him I have a podcast on Tuesdays and I had taken Cam Smith, Rory, Roy McElroy, and Dustin Johnson against the field for a, quite a bit of money so I was really wanting I, I didn't care which one of those three won because I, <laughs> I was going to win and I I was afraid that Cam was too far away and then when he, when he went on that tear in five birdies in a row I was like so excited and then when he hit that second shot on 17 I think he couldn't have hit it number one he hit his drive a little bit too far left but when when he chunked that shot just short of the he couldn't be in a worse place except in the bunker and I was like there's no way he's if he does if he makes five he's doing well because you know there's no way in that hard pan there that you can hit a sandwich and get it over that bunker and hold it before it goes over the green into the onto the road and I was like he's just ruined his chance right there and when he putted it I thought okay he's smart he's just going to put it somewhere on the front of the green he but it's going to go so close to that bunker. That shot and that putt, well, obviously it won the championship, but that was so impressive under pressure to do that. It
0: was, it was incredible. Jan, it's so good to talk to you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Now, your unwavering commitment to the sport of golf has undoubtedly paved the way for subsequent generations to follow. You're an amazing player on the course and you were willing to think well and truly outside the square off it. What a career, what a life you've had. Well done on everything you've achieved and, and continued to do. And thanks for joining us.
2: Thank you very much, Sam. That was was great.
0: And thank you for joining us also. You've been listening to This Is Your Journey for Tobin Brothers Funerals Celebrating Lives. You can jump online and find them at tobinbrothers.com.au and we'll catch you the next time we celebrate another great sporting journey.